0: Christmas can be a magical time and it can be a sad time. But if you have grandchildren, it's magical. And we have a two and a half year old granddaughter whose name is Aubrey, and she gets to come over to our house at Christmas time. And uh, we are big decorators, both outside and inside. We have 15 different Christmas trees. If you count what we decorate outside and inside, some as small as 2 feet, others as high as 15. We love it. When our granddaughter comes, she likes to run around and see all the lights. She, unfortunately, lives in a home where they only do white lights for elegance. (laughs) In our house, we have the elegant room And then we have the multicolored room where she spends most of her time. But there's one place she really, really loves to go. And she loves to walk up to the nativity set that Marie and I purchased way back in 1977 when we were in Israel, before we were married. And we still place it out there every year. And now Grandma Marie decorates it in such a way that when Aubrey comes over, She walks over to that little table, and she just stares in wonder at the white lights. Notice the snow on the roof. (laughs) And then we've given her permission to take the little characters, and she'll often take those and place them on the floor and look at them closely. Her eyes as big as silver dollars. Why? It's the magic, the wonder, of the story of jesus coming at christmas now today we're going to take a look at a passage of scripture that's surprising in my forty five years of preaching in churches i've never preached this as a christmas text and it's going to be the genealogy of jesus we're going to spend thirty five minutes on about fifty names all descending uh, back to abraham and down to jesus but why Well, part of the reason is this. It would easily be... Now, let me say it this way. It would be easy to believe that the Jesus story is a fantasy story. One of the great wonder stories. It's got all the elements of great fantasy literature. It's got bad oppressors like King Herod. It's got poor protagonists like Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus who will have to flee their home to stay alive. It's got supernatural intervention, as good fantasies do. A star is in the sky and seems to follow very strange people from another part of the world to the place called Bethlehem. It's got angels appearing in and out of the segments. It's fantasy. It's better than Frozen. It's better than Polar Express. It's better than the Lord of the Rings. It's better even than Narnia. It's a massive fantasy story. Now, please, some of you that are visiting here today go, well, this is a liberal church. Uh, (laughs) Not at all. As J.R.R. Tolkien said to C.S. Lewis when he was considering Christianity, and Lewis said, it is like all the great fantasy stories. Tolkien says to him, well, maybe you should consider whether it's the true one. Uh, maybe the, 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 it's the real story to which all the other stories point. All I'm saying is that people would have every right in the world to say, it's a wonderful, fantastical story. But is it true? I wonder, I wonder even if it was very true for the Jewish people At this moment in their own history, this moment in their own history, they have been beaten back. They have been conquered by other kings. They have gone 700 years being oppressed Uh, by Assyria, and then by, by Babylon, and then by Persia, and then by Greece, and now it's Rome, all the time thinking that they were the chosen people, all the time thinking that God was going to provide a Messiah, an anointed one, a son of David who would come and make wrong right, but it simply had not happened. And in fact... When Jesus does appear, this is the tail end of 400 years when there was no prophetic word. God had gone silent. So when they start talking about Jesus coming, suggesting that he is this anointed one, the people of Israel had every right to say, yeah, right, you see the setting? A story so fantastic that you could write it off as fantastical literature. An era of time so forlorn, so full of depression and disappointment and God not showing up. Why should we believe he would now? All of that leads us to the first chapter Of the book of Matthew if you were Matthew how would you start to convince the Jewish people that Jesus is the one they've been waiting for well in that culture you would start with a genealogy open your Bibles please to Matthew chapter 1 verses 1 through 17 and I'm gonna ask you to stand for a few moments as we read the Word of God, because the genealogies are also part of the infallible Word of God that we have given to us. Now, as I start to read, many of you will be wondering, will he get all these names right? (laughs) We'll see. Chapter 1, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Aminadab, Aminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David." David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abiyah. Abiyah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah is the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Ammon, Ammon, the father of Josiah, Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, verse 12, Jeconiah was the father of Shelatiel. Shelatiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud. Abihud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Akim. Akim, the father of Elihud. Elihud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Mathan. Mathan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Anointed One, Messiah. Please be seated. As we approach this text today, I've got four points I want to make, okay? And and the first one is this, that, that the prophecy of Jesus comes alive through the genealogy of Jesus. And that by presenting the genealogy of Jesus, this is the takeaway, it makes the Jesus story probably true. It makes the Jesus story probably true. That's point one. Point two I'm going to try to get across to you is this. All peoples matter to God. All peoples and all people matter to God. Three, women are uplifted through the life and the coming of Jesus. Women are uplifted through the coming of Jesus. And finally, only flawed people are welcome. Only flawed people are welcome. So one, the genealogy is probably the proof that the story's true. Two, all peoples matter to God. Three, women are uplifted through Jesus Christ. And four, only flawed people are truly welcome. Okay, here we go. Genealogy. Well, it's one of the proofs of of, uh, authenticity. I mean, it looks like Jesus came in real flesh and bone. And as we will see, and in blood. Therefore, as fantastical as the story seems, the fact that his lineage has been traced all the way back to Abraham, and incidentally, that's about a 1,500-year lineage. The average person lived to about 35. You're dealing with 1,470 years between Abraham and Jesus. Every single name has been researched, Kept in the files, in the temples of of Jewish lineage. And so as Matthew starts out thinking, how do I help the people who are in despair, who have given up to believe that maybe, just maybe, The birth story is true. Maybe his life was true. Maybe, therefore, his death and resurrection are true because they've got him locked in and loaded into the genealogical architecture of the royal line. Maybe the genealogy proves that he was real. Now let's look at just a couple of verses concerning this genealogy. The first name we see there is Abraham in verse 2. And in, we have the prophecy given to Abraham. And as I said, nearly 1,500 years before the time of Christ, we've got a slide for you on this, where God says to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And then here it is, verse 3, part B. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Through Abraham, all peoples on earth will be blessed. And not just in his lifespan, but through his lineage. The line of Jesus goes straight up to the great Abraham and the promise that through his line, All the peoples of the earth would be blessed. Then as we go down in the genealogy, 14 generations, we come to David, who was the father of Solomon. Verse 6 in the genealogy. David. Now look at this passage, this prophetic passage about King David. It comes to us from 2 Samuel And chapter 7, 12 through 13. When your days are over, David, and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, he will be my son. When he does wrong, I'll punish him with a rod wielded by men with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Now verse 16. David, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever forever. And ever. Notice the term forever. Through Abraham, all peoples of the earth would be blessed forever, and through David, the royal line of leadership would bring the blessing to all the world. Abraham and Abraham to David, and David the promise that the royal line had been locked and loaded into his progeny. And so the rest of of the genealogy goes from David all the way to the time of Jesus. This is the royal line. This is the line out of which Messiah, which means anointed one, will come. And Matthew has proven through documented evidence that Jesus is a direct descendant of David and a direct descendant of Abraham. Maybe the story and the life are true. You see? So to start with the genealogy, it, it's always bored me to tell you the truth. I, I go, oh, man, oh, I'm going to jump down to verse uh, 18, start with Joseph. Have you ever done that? I know you have, whether you admit it or not. You're flawed people like I am. But we, we need to see the incredible importance of the genealogy it suggests that the story is true that's number one number two what do we see in the genealogy that either surprises us or alerts us etc cetera, etc cetera? it's that it appears that all people matter you would expect that in the genealogy of Jesus from the chosen people, the Jews, you would see a pure bloodline running from David all the way to Jesus, from Abraham all the way to Jesus. For 1,500 years, these are the chosen people. You only marry your own kind. Nope. As Matthew digs in, and finds this, forgive me, I have to move this or I'm going to trip over that silver thing. Silver thing. <laughs> you want me to trip now, silver thing. You've you got to laugh every seven minutes whether you know it or not. It, 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 okay. <laughs> all right. Um, but evidently all peoples matter. Why? Well, let me just point to a few of the names. In verse 3, there's the name of a woman named Tamar. Tamar wasn't Jewish. Tamar was Canaanite, one of the the hated ethnicities of the Jews. But there she was, and she produced twins to Judah. More on that later because it's very interesting. Verse 5, Salmon is the father of Boaz, and and whose mother was, what does it say? Rahab. You know who Rahab is. Some of you that have read the Bible, Rahab's profession is prostitution. Not only that, she's a Canaanite. She's a Canaanite prostitute. And she's one of the mothers of David and therefore bloodline all the way to Jesus. That's interesting. Okay, more on that in a minute because it's a very interesting story. There are no pure bloods. Oh, let's look at Ruth is another name that's inserted here. And you'll find the name Ruth also in verse 5. Boaz is the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Ruth was a splendid, splendid human being. Too bad she was from a hated ethnicity. She was a Moabite. Two, Two Canaanites and a Moabite. And then we have a fourth person whose name isn't even mentioned in verse number 6, part B, which says, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Those of you who have read the Bible a lot, who's that? Bathsheba. Why isn't she mentioned? Hmm, interesting. Uriah was a Hittite. Well, we don't know for sure about Bathsheba, my hunch is she was too. You mean from the very beginning the bloodline of Abraham to Jesus is not purely Jewish? That's what I mean. Even in the genealogy, we see that God loves all people, all races, all ethnicities, so much so that they're even linked into the royal bloodline that brings us Jesus Christ. I love that. Jesus will exemplify that. Jesus will reach out to the despised Romans. Jesus will cross the border and take his disciples into Syria. When Jews would go into another country, they were supposed to take and come back. They were supposed to take their sandals off and shake them because even the the ground that other ethnicities lived upon was impure. Jesus crossed the borders to be with Syrians He crossed the borders to be with Romans. And, of course, in the wondrous birth narrative, we three kings of... are... Yeah, you want to get the verb in there. uh, (laughs) Orient. Probably Persian. So the life of Jesus is all wound up in being with all peoples, not just his own. And then, when Jesus rises from the dead and ascends to heaven and sends the Holy Spirit who will live within all who claim Jesus Christ, when, when the first sermon is preached at what we call Pentecost, the coming of the Spirit, it is preached by the Holy Spirit himself through the voices of the disciples and the people that are listening are from fifth different ethnicities from the north from the south from the east and from the west of Israel can we can we live with this I think so can we boldly proclaim it when people challenge Christianity and they they challenge the superiority and they think it's just a white person's thing can we happily say heavens no Jesus came for all people. The blood of Jesus was multi-ethnic. I love it, I love it, I love it, I love it, I love it. That ain't all. All peoples matter. Number three, women are elevated in the genealogy. First off, everybody, genealogies don't contain the names of women. If you go to the other genealogy that we have in the New Testament, it's it's found in Luke. It's a much longer genealogy, but you'll not see a woman there. And yet in Matthews, five women are named. Tamar is named. Rahab is named. Ruth is named. Bathsheba is almost named. And Mary, the mother of God, is named. Mother of God the Son who came in the flesh as Jesus. Jesus elevated women. You say, well, why why, uh, in Matthew's genealogy do we have women? Why is it not in Luke's genealogy? And further, why in the study of ancient genealogies do we not see uh, women mentioned? um, Culture? Tradition, patriarchal systems. Matthew breaks a stereotype. First of all, it helps prove the multi-ethnicity of Jesus, as we just proved. Secondly, Jesus loved women. Jesus respected women. Shouldn't even need to be mentioned. That when God created humankind in his own image and likeness, he created them male and female. All the spiritual gifts are given to both men and women. God has a high value for women. You see it in Jesus' life. He had lots of friends who were ladies. Uh, Mary and Martha... The, the, the sisters of Lazarus, he, the, those were like his closest friends. And whenever he could get near Jerusalem, he'd stay with them out in Bethany. He adored them. He loved them. When, when Lazarus got terribly ill, uh, Mary and Martha sent emergency uh, uh, heralds to find Jesus to say, the one whom you love is sick, come quick. They were tight, Jesus, Mary and Martha, and, and Lazarus. Yeah. Uh, Mary Magdalene was around Jesus and the disciples through the whole story. Uh, You see his attention giving even to women that have done things wrong. Incidentally, we all do things wrong, we all sin. That didn't stop him from defending the woman caught in adultery, Uh, he was her defender. She'd have been dead as a doornail if Jesus hadn't stepped in. Was she pure? No. She committed adultery. Interesting in that story, the man who committed adultery with her is not brought forward. And that must have irked him as well because he knew who it was. The elevation of both male and female Earlier on, I promised you we'd talk about Tamar just a little bit in the, she's the first woman that is mentioned in verse three, and she bears Jacob, sorry, Judah, two children, Perez and uh, Zerah. Uh, and actually, Tamar was much younger than Judah. Tamar was originally married to Judah's firstborn son. And he died because the Bible says he was evil. And so she was left as a widow. And in Jewish culture, so that a name and a, and a life flow could continue. If a husband died, then the next brother of the same family would marry the widow. First of all, so that she could be cared for. And second of all to keep the bloodline going through that one. Well, in the case of Judah when his firstborn son died, he then said to his secondborn son, "Now you must marry Tamar." And and instead Tamar, excuse me, and instead of marrying her, he refused. Why? Well, the firstborn son was already dead and Three-quarters of all the inheritance always went to the firstborn. Who's now the firstborn? The second son. But the second son will have to share all of that with Tamar if he marries her. He refuses. So Judah says, well, I've got one more son. He's still young, but when he grows up, he will marry you so that the bloodline of my first son may carry on and so that you may be provided by. But he never did it. And the story of Tamar is her literally coming up with a plan to force Judah into action. She actually portrays herself as a prostitute. Judah then wants to be with her, and she gets pregnant, and she bears two of Judah's sons. The injustice was that Judah didn't follow through on what he was called to do and be. In provision. The sin on her part was calculatingly finding a way to force Judah into action so that she could be cared for. Quite a story, isn't it? Now, don't you find yourself thinking, why in the world would God put that person in this bloodline? (laughs) Or at least don't mention it. (laughs) Rahab's almost as bad. She She was a practicing prostitute. Right, But she helped the spies when they were coming into the promised land. And and she was so roundly and soundly converted to the belief in the one God that when we get to the great hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, Rahab is mentioned as one of the great people of faith. I'm just saying, when it comes to God and Jesus... All women matter. All little girls matter. If you're examining different faith systems, you check out Hinduism and its views of women. You check out Islam and its views of women. You check it out. Then you check out what Jesus believes about women. I I didn't know enough about this till I got married and then had daughters there's still inequities that are going on and of course in the last year the the abuse and everything I'm just saying all people matter to Jesus Christ and his own bloodline goes through both women who were sinners and saints (laughs) amen third it's for flawed people it's, I mean, if you look at this list, it looks like everybody's got a glittering robe on. I mean, you you backtrack to David, and then it's got every king from David on mentioned in this genealogy that comes out of his royal bloodline all the way to Jesus. Everybody's got royal robes. I had a ro- royal robe on yesterday. I was in uh, uh, Jackson, Mississippi, and I was giving a commencement address at, at, a, at a Christian university there, and I got to have my royal robe on. Since I studied theology my chevrons three of them which which indicate doctor smart guy uh are there and and you stand pompously and they even call it pomp and circumstance it's a wondrous thing and then we honored all these graduates who are also wearing royal robes of graduation (laughs) but underneath the robe we are nothing but flawed people right Every single one of us. The, the Matthew, through the story of Jesus, will push past all the glittering images of Abraham, father of the faith, who was so scared of a local king that he asked his wife to say that she was his sister so he wouldn't be killed. So much for Abraham. Judah already told you about him. Uh, And then there's good kings in the list and there's bad kings in the list. But in reality, all of the good and the bad kings are bad kings. They've all got serious flaws, just like you and I do. David, not David. I even stood on my tiptoes in obeisance. Also makes me six foot. David who loved God, heart after God. And yet lust leads him to take Bathsheba and then to try to hide it all. He engineers and hopes that Uriah, who's one of his bodyguards and best friends and Bathsheba's husband, will be killed at war. And when he's not killed in war, David forces his generals to put Uriah in a place where he will be killed. So he's responsible for the murder. Solomon, wisest man on earth. 700 wives and 300 concubines. Who calls that wise? (laughs) On and on it goes. So if you're a person that says, I don't know that I deserve to be linked with Jesus Christ, I just want to say... I think you do, because really, the truth is, only flawed people are welcome. He wasn't flawed. He was perfect in all ways. And he came in his perfection to do all that was necessary to be able to give us the assurance that we can be forgiven for our sins and get out of here. As, I love the way that you said that today, Sis, when you were saying something about when the kids came up, they came up so that Jesus will be with them and provide a way for us to all get out of here. Yeah, and live with God forever. So, applications. Those of you that are in life groups and such, and you'll be talking about this sermon later. Uh, four just quick things. Remember, my four big ideas were the genealogy of Jesus is here. One, to prove that it probably was a true story. Secondly, that shows that all people, races, and ethnicities, matter. Third, he elevates women to a high, high uh, reconciled relationship with himself. And four, we're all broken and tattered pretty bad, even those that have the most chevrons on their robes. So where do we go with this? Well, here's number one. Your lineage and your bloodline don't matter god so return the ancestry.com kit you're going to get at christmas i've done that all it did was confuse me i found out i'm two percent jewish and one percent nigerian what do you think it's not about bloodlines it's about the bloodline of jesus for you number two Don't judge God by his timing. (laughs) They were waiting 1,500 years. And then they had 400 years of silence with not even any prophets before Jesus came. Don't you find that sometimes God seems slow? Yeah. But in the waiting, in the patience, much good happens in our lives. God calls us to wait upon him for his timing is perfect. Third, God makes beauty out of castaways. Tamar's and Rahab's are part of the royal line. He makes beauty out of castaways. Everyone is welcome, but not because of your goodness, because you aren't, but because of his, because he is. And finally, there's a new bloodline poured out on the cross at Calvary by which you can be adopted into God's own family. Look at this verse as I close. From John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Welcome to God's ancestry. He gives that right to become the children of God, born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Have you been born of God? And if you haven't, stay today and talk to our prayer counselors. We want you brought into the hidden and beautiful ancestry that is the bloodline of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who shed his blood for you as a sacrifice for sins let's pray unto you O God do I commit these words this wonderful genealogy and I ask for every person that is here brothers and sisters in Christ and those that aren't yet brothers or sisters in Christ that you will work these truths as you will and as you wish for your glory. Thank you for sending Jesus Christ, the Son of God, at Christmas. Amen and amen. Lord be with you and keep you. Bye-bye.